When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Getting you through your workday one hour at a time. This is Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. G'day all on this Wednesday, if you're just uh, biting into your whole grain sandwich, hope you're enjoying your lunch hour, that's just commenced if you're an hour away and you're at your desk and you've got your earpods in, text us anytime, double eight double three. if you're at work, if you're driving, I'd love to hear your voice as well. Uh, we've got three hours today, uh, 12 till 3, remembering that the rural roundup is on half the country, we got the other half as well, so... Um, Let's chat. 0800 150 811. We want to know. Start thinking now. Your Kiwis League Immortals. Now, an Immortals is a thing, and I like it. I like it over in Australia. And I like that they don't just don't dish it out willy-nilly. You quite often see Hall of Fames inductees, and they have six or seven a year. There's only ever been 13 Immortal Kangaroos. But we have later on Liam Halser. He has written a book called The State of Origin Immortals and he's picked starting 13s benches and coach for both Queensland and for New South Wales what a task that must have been so we'll talk to him about how he went about it the tough decisions the the ones that he had to omit that he wish he could have put in um, I just straight away think of the Jonathan Thurston Alfie Langer what did he do um, Billy Slater Surely he's going to be the um, origin fullback. But anyway, uh, the Queensland fullback. So we'll have a chat to him later on in the show. He's uh, down to talk to at one, actually. So we'll spend the first hour getting our Kiwis Immortals. I've written down in pen uh, three names already for my starting 13, but I'm going to be guided by you guys, and um, we can all help each other out by getting putting together the... Uh, the best Kiwi League team of all time, Immortals, if we did have such a ceremony. Jeff's texting, hello. Hello, Jeff. Good on you, Jeff, taking the time to text hello. Uh, also, we have, uh, Sam's done a little bit of work, or he's come across someone who's done a bit of work on the golf handicapping system and how they're going to remove sandbaggers and burglars, which is interesting. And I can't, he hasn't told me anything about it. He says he wants to talk to me about it at some stage today, so we'll weave that through 
our three-hour show today. Also going to catch up with Kirsty Lawrence. She's uh, created a really cool thing for the kids uh, that are in the pony clubs, which is a very popular um, event for kids. But they've taken them to the racetracks, and they have a race. I'm guessing it's like two or 300 metres. I watched one earlier. Um, it was at Hawke's Bay, I think. And they're in jockey silks, commentary, crowd cheering for them and the look on the kids' faces when they return to scale and the winners get ribbons and I thought it was just awesome. So I think there's four or five in the series. So we'll talk to Kirsty Lawrence who's a a wonderful horsewoman in her own right, a trainer. She breaks horses in, she schools horses uh, and she also does a lot for um, flood relief victims and I think today even she's out uh, distributing hay for the flood relief for farms that don't have it. So she's a great person. So we will get on her on at about 2.15, 2.20, something like that. Right. Um, Jeff's just said hello as well. He said hello again. Um, oh, I think that's a follow-up to a text to Smithy Show. Anyway, 0800 150 is the number that I want you to call. We're going to compile our starting 13 and a bench it's sort of going to be votes basis, but I want you to make your argument for them. Like, I'll tell, I'll tell you two of my three that I've chucked down on my list. Mark Graham, Jersey 12, 100%. And Roger Tuivasa-Shek in the one. They're my two that I've got written down. There's going to be some contentious ones. Um, there's going to be some very easy ones, I would suggest. We've got a great um, great knowledge of sports fans out there, both rugby and rugby league. So just have a think about the ones you'd want to chuck into an Immortals team for the Kiwis all time. 0800 150 or text in double eight double three. That is the Temper Bear Post text machine. Really keen to hear your thoughts. Let's go. Well, listen, Buster, you better start to move your feet to the rockin'est beat. Of madness. Yeah. Right, straight off the bat, we've got text straight away. Mark Graham, he's going to be in there. Wiz, which is Gary Freeman. I've got some next to number seven. I'll tell you what I've got. And he's also got Ruben Wiki. Yes. Ruben Wiki, gosh, he played everywhere from centre to prop, didn't he? He's going to be, he can be a floater. And yeah, I want him in my team. Jeez, I want him in my team. Uh, Ruben Wiki. So give us a yell, 0800 150 Who's in your immortal Kiwis team? We go to the lines, talk to Simon in Hamilton. G'day, Simon. Hey, it's Daffy. How's things? Good, man. Yeah, not a bad subject. Yeah. Mind, thank you a little Mark Graham was the first one I thought of, obviously, but uh, um, I've got a couple. Um, for me, I'd have Ruben Wiki in there. Yep. 55 test matches for the Kiwis. He, uh, he's just an immortal. Blame him in the centres when he was young or blame him in prop when he's older. Yeah. Um, and my other one, um, I mean, we've got a wealth of back rowers, so I've gone for... Um, yeah, that was a tricky one for me too. They were the same two I had at 13. It's hard to split them, isn't it? I mean, we can put one on the bench on the interchange as well. Well, there you go. Yeah, that, that's an option for us. But, uh, yeah, those two jumped out at me. Um, 
the halfbacks and your five eight is going to be interesting, real interesting, really. But uh, yeah, I know. Good good subject. I'll be listening for the afternoon and see what see what everybody comes up with. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for kicking us off. Yeah, mate, mate. There, there we go. Where do we put Ruben Wiki? Probably prop for me. Um, McGann, Nico, and the interchange will probably have one back, three forwards. I would imagine. So I would say McGann, Nico. One will start. One will be bench. I don't know. Early days. Let's go to. Is that Jace? Jace. Yes. Kilda, Kilda, Steffi. Kilda, Jace. Um, yeah. Look, I love all this talk, especially with the Kiwis and all of that. I'm based over here in Sydney. But, um, I, uh, yeah, I, that previous caller, definitely Tawara, Nico, you know, that's really a hotly contested position, isn't it? That back row for the Kiwis, Mark Graham, Hugh McCann, um, you know, yeah, amazing names, actually, from back in the day. Mm. Uh, I, I also think of, um, uh, you know, even um, Big Olsen, but the fact that he he really got over the top of the king, and um, and that that hasn't been done very often, you know. Um, yeah, I love uh, Big Olsen. I love it's, Big uh, Olsen Sandals. too. <laughs> I loved him. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's pretty much me, Steffi. Hey, can I just mention one quick thing too? Sure. Um, and that's about the uh, the Warriors. Um, uh, the Warriors, because I'm a massive Warriors fan, mm-hmm. but um, the the comments made by the uh, the sponsor, and I heard your interview, that was awesome. Um, I actually did some research, Staffy, and I looked at um, it from the other perspective of the referees that we actually get for our games. Right. Now, you'd know this, Staffy. There's the pecking order. Sure there is. Referees. I'm not saying that all referees are better than the others, but... The NRL, by design, put what they believe are the best referees and the best games. And the best games for the NRL, what they believe, are Thursday night games, Friday night, uh, the late game, um, and the Sunday afternoon. Now, they're the big TV games. If you have a look at those, that's got uh, that Klein, so Ashley Klein, who does the um, State of Origins. Or you've got uh, the next picking order is um, Jared Sutton and then um, maybe Cummins. So if you look at the Warriors for this year, we have not got any of those, any of the, uh, only, only Cummins did the Sharkies game. Mm. We don't get the good refs. Well, as, as far as the NRL are concerned, I've ranked them. I haven't ranked them. Um, that's another part of it too, Stebby. That's a really, really good point. Um, that, and I guess one part of it is the best refs do get the best game. So if you've got Melbourne, Brisbane, if you've got South Panthers, you can sort of get that they do get the best refs. Um, but we'd like them every now and then. But you can't because it, it's like international test match rugby. You know, the best referees will be at the World Cup. Best referees, um, referee. Chiefs Crusaders, uh, when you get the Rebels Force, they won't get the best referee. Um, I don't know if we can change that, but I think we need to acknowledge that, which, which you've done, Jace. It's a really good point. Yeah, yeah. And if you look at for this week's game, Staffy, um, we've got Ben Cummins. And in the video, ref, because that gets overlooked as well, 
We've actually got Klein, I think, and the video rep. We haven't had Klein and the video rep for any Warriors games this year. Mm. So it's actually, it's it's quite interesting when you have a look at it. That is um, interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, again, I'm not saying that one ref's better than the other, but this is the NRL themselves who have decided who they believe are the better refs. Yeah. Awesome. I'm going to watch that with even more interest. I'm going to put my black and white striped shirt on and be a ref watcher this weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome, Staffy. Mate, I love your show. I tune in whenever I can. Good, man. Awesome. Good to have you on board, Jase. Cheers. See you, boy. Um, Really interesting. See, our people do research. Our people do research. I love it. 0800 150 We're putting together our mortals. Got lots of text messages. Lots of cool names in here. Um, Craig has said, left field, can you put someone in who never played league for the Kiwis because I'd have Jonah Lomu in his prime. He'd have been a great. Yes, he would have, Craig, but no, you can't. I'm sorry, you can't. You can put Mark Allison. You can put John Kerwin in, but you won't. 0800-150-811. Zaid, life member Zaid. G'day, Zaid. It's Benji Marshall of the Flicks. <laughs> Benji Marshall. Marshall. Benji Marshall, what a beast he was. Oh, he was phenomenal. I I, I want to say about Byron. When I was younger, actually, I was into the Tigers. You just just can't think without thinking. Oh, dodgy phone call. Dodgy line. Sorry, Zade, we'll try and get him back. We'll try and get him back. Um, Some more names that have been coming in. I'm really pleased this one came in, Simon Mannering. Simon Mannering. Um, who's this one here? I'm just trying to see the name. Sorry, team, uh, which I can't unless I do that. Uh, two of us are Sheik, Sean Hoppy, Manu Vatavai, Joey Manu, Roger Bailey, Benji Marshall, Stacey Jones, Isaac Luke, Jesse Bromwich, Dane Sorensen, Mark Grand Captain, Sonny Bill Williams, Jason Tomalolo, Olsen Filipina, Henry Tartana, Bill Noonan and Simon Mannering. There's a squad for you, team. There's a squad. Uh, keep the calls uh, rolling in. Uh, we're going to try Zaid again. Is the line all sorted? We're going to try Zaid again. Zaid? Uh, hello? That's better. That's better. I was going to say, I want Benji Marshall and Sean Johnson in the halves, please. Together? Yeah, together. Are they two the same? And or would that be... Isaac... Re... And yeah, I definitely reckon Isaac Luke and the hooker. Yeah. Um, yeah, Benji, uh, we need Sonny Bill Williams because mm-hmm. he was a great for the Roosters. He was great for the Roosters. Um, you know, great league player and also a great um, rugby union player. Um, yeah, definitely RTS at number one. Yeah. And yes, um, Simon Mannering. And I don't think he's actually been said yet, but Mont- what about Monty Beefham? Well, there you go. Well, he has to play in place of Isaac Luke, so you have to make a choice. Um, maybe one of them, maybe... Maybe we'll have Luke on the bench and Monty B from starting then. Could do, yeah. Could do, because you probably need a um you probably need someone that can play hooker slash um halfback because you need a little bit of uh diversity on your bench, don't you? So you probably need someone that can play both roles. And what about um Jesse and um Kenny Bromwich, those two big boys? I do like Jesse Bromwich. Don't know if Kenny would make my immortals, but I'm prepared to be overruled on that one. But Jesse Bromwich being a good captain of the Kiwis. And can we chuck, can we chuck Brandon Smith in the lock? Brandon Smith at lock? 
Well, isn't that where he plays? A bit of lock and a bit of hooker? No, he's all he hooker. He, where was he playing in the store? He's all hooker. When he wouldn't start. No, nah, hooker. No, nah, but they bring him off the bench as well. No. Oh. Wasn't he playing somewhere else? Yeah, maybe as a second row, but uh, he would not start in the Kiwi Immortals at second row. He he could start yeah, at hooker. Not could start at hooker yeah. for the Waiheke Island Immortals. I I don't think he's as good as Isaac Luke though, or um, yeah, Mon- I reckon I'd yeah, I'd I'd start with Isaac Luke actually, and then have Monty beef him off the bench to bring some in for so I reckon. And yeah, you've got to have Ruben Wiki, eh? Got to have Ruben Wiki. I'm just thinking about hookers yeah. like Dwayne Mann, um, Dane Sorensen. You won't remember him. Um, what about um, uh, Owen Gutenbill? Yeah, second rower. Second rower. I think there or, might be some that beat him. It, um, but... What's his name? Um, Mark Tukey, is it? Tukey. He was Australian. Right. We see all your text messages. <laughs> We actually don't know what was going on there. Um, we have our texts hurriedly looking at it. So sorry for all of those ads and me talking over top of them. Um, so we're just going to reset the system now. So normally we have news now, but they've said uh, just give us three minutes. Uh, ads playing over Staffy since the last break. Scrambled eggs. <laughs> Turn off your bloody ads. Your app's playing ads. Yep. Yeah, okay. Got all the ads ones. Very, very sorry. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm no tech. So I'll repeat the text messages I got when apparently I was talking over ads. Well, not apparently. You're telling me I was. So once again, apologies for that. Can, can't have an Immortals team without the little general Stacey Jones, which I 100% agree with. Uh, I, I don't know how many of these I've read out, so I'm just going to start from the top again. Roger Tuivasa-Sheik, Dane O'Hara, Kevin Erdl, Fred Arkoy, Sonny Bill, Olsen Philippina, Freeman, both Tamaris, Kevin and Howie. Um... Broadhurst, Graham, West, McGahn, and the bench of Gary Prome, Isaac Luke, Reuben Wiki, James, Luluai. I like that team, Ken. I do like that team. A lot of good names in there. Dana Harrod, forgotten about him. No one's mentioned Sean Hoppy, unless they have, and I haven't got to it yet. He was he was fantastic as well. Uh, Matthew Ridge, someone suggested, and I said, apologies again if I'm doubling up. Um, he was the reason I started supporting Manly before the Warriors were around. Um Apparently, we're coming through fine in Perth on the app. Blackie, good to hear from you. Sorry if I just went silent for a while because I wasn't quite sure what was going on. Uh, from Grant in Melbourne, Mark Graham, Dane Sorensen, Kurt Sorensen, Kevin Tamati. I love all of those. I love all of those a lot. Kurt Sorensen. Oh, powerful. I think he ended up owning a nightclub in uh, Witness Hull, something like that. I think. not 100% sure. Uh, Gary Freeman. He was good at everything. The game, the niggle, the media. Had a face for TV and being an all-round loyal, brave and proper league stalwart. And of course, there are many more like him. Um, so I'm being told we can go to the news. I think everything's reset, but we have to fire off the news to get everything back into sync. But why not? Because Johnny Mac, he's the best. You better start to move your feet to the rockin'est beat of madness. Righto, we fixed it. We fixed it. I don't know what it was, but we fixed it. Um, so we're back to normal programming. Awesome, awesome. Some more text message. Temper B post text machine. 
Tawaranikia, he is the money man. I like this story, actually. He is your buck shelf would follow me. He told Stephen Kearney at halftime of the 99 grand final, let's just smash him, bro. I love that. Stephen Kearney, there's another name. There's another name. A man whose reputation was, I think, unduly tainted with his stint as coach of the Warriors and potentially the Kiwis. Uh, fantastic player, Stephen Kearney. Brilliant player. He's he's bench at least for me. Bench at least. Stacey, Ruben and Dwayne Mann, someone has suggested. My 19th man is Ruben Wiki. Why is he 19? Is that the water guy that tackles streakers? Is that why he's your 19th man? <laughs> uh, Marshy, yeah, I'm with you, Marshy. Look, Kurt Sorensen. If you're not old enough to remember Kurt Sorensen, go and have a little bow, Pete. Think about... Think about a horse float with legs and a moustache. That is Kurt Sorensen. Am I right, Marshy? He was as wide as he was tall, but it wasn't fat. He was ripped. And he had he had the, the curly hair, slightly long. It wouldn't go as far as to say a mullet. And when him and Dane Sorensen were next to each other, you couldn't tell they were brothers. Were they brothers or cousins? Anyway, they didn't look related. Um, but he was fantastic, Kurt Sorensen. Great, great nomination. Great nomination. Um, now, I've got to work my way through all of these ones. Uh, kindly informing us that the ads and the news and double feeds. I'm still trying to get through it. Uh, absolute certainties. Uh, this is Wayne from Carmo. G'day, Carmo. Jeez, mate, I hope you didn't get damaged up there the far north in the last 48 hours um, but here's his team, absolute certainties Mark Graham, I agree Stacey Jones, I agree, Roger Bailey I'm going to have to do some work on Roger Bailey I think I remember Roger Bailey was he a manager of the Kiwis or a coach of the Kiwis and everyone told me at the time he was a fantastic player, don't know enough about him but he certainly had enough nominations Roger Bailey, Ruben Wiki, Jock Butterfield now I'm going to admit I haven't heard of that name before, but geez, he sounds like a league player. Great name. So that is absolute certainties and his almost certainties, Tawera Nico, Philip Orchard, Ron Ackland, Jared McCracken, oh, and Quinn, Quentin Pongia, yes. Oh, what about Johnny Lomax and Quentin Pongia? The Canberra Destroyers putting on the Kiwi jerseys. Chuck Rubin, Wiki in the set. Oh, jeepers. Wayne from Carmo. Great, great, great. Loved it. Um, uh, sorry can't listen anymore I have to switch off apologies for that you can switch back on it was just a glitch um, uh, goodness me there's so many of these it's good to know so many people were listening actually and I said day to Blackie uh, it's weird that it still worked internationally but not locally kind of weird Chatham Island smiling assassin Brendan Tuta do you remember him, Sammy? He was the baby-faced assassin, they used to call him. Looked like butter wouldn't melt in his mouth. He would have been about your size and just cut blokes in half. Love to head high, love the coat hanger. Brendan Tutor, look him up. It'll change your life. Uh, Marshy, I didn't know he was from the Chathams, actually. Oh, I did like Brendan Tutor. I love the little blokes that play above themselves. Um... Whose lawn do I have to mow to get uh, Tony Kemp in this team? <laughs> I'm disappointed that SENZ Fano haven't started beating the drum for Uncle Kempy. Six or centre? 
He's got to be a lot of good players out for Kempe to get in there. But hey, he's not eliminated. No one's eliminated. Maybe not immortals, but bloody good Kiwi players. Gary Mercer, yes. Richie Blackmore, Stephen Kearney. Agree, agree, agree. Maybe not immortals. Ruben Wiki, first name on team sheet for me, Man of Steel. Aperahama, yes, I agree. Champion, he was fantastic. Change a game. A player that could change a game. A long, distinguished career. And really never had a bad game. And here's the interesting... When I think Ruben Wiki, there's that one run. That one run for the Warriors, screaming at the top of his voice, just head-on collision with... Uh, Sia Soliola? Was that who it was? Sia um, Soliola. He is in Disneyland. Yeah. What a collision. And that's game-changing stuff. Viking. The old Viking. He's, ironically, he played for the Raiders, but I always saw him as a Viking Ruben Wiki. <laughs> you know, just sort of charging into battle and like screaming. I mean, they were just... I mean, you know, you see someone like Nelson Asafa Solomon or someone running at you, that, that puts shivers down your spine. But someone just yelling at the top of their lungs yeah. while doing it. <laughs> like he already had the reputation mm. and then you're seeing that run at you. See, I think um, Bunty Arfoa has, he's sort of all bark, bark and no bite at the moment, Bunty. He sort of charges in off the long run, but it's, he's got this really soft sort of baby face and he just sort of goes into tackles and doesn't get any extra meters. I mean, why bounce. not Why not just yell, Bunty, as you're going into the contact? Just, bah! Do you remember <laughs> Yafeta Paliasina? Yeah, yeah, Paliasina, yeah. Oh, he was like yeah. that. Yeah, he was he, he was that guy who, um, sort of like Adi Savia, in a tackle, he just fight his way out of it you know yeah. he wouldn't just sort of let someone tackle him he just yeah. Artie does that as well he sort of throws his arms around to just try and get out just of a keeps tackle moving, keeps yeah. moving do you Slippery. remember um, do you remember when Ruben Wiki, Quentin Pongia and Johnny Lomax were all at Canberra well that was before me I think in the 90s wasn't it yes, early 90s well maybe it wasn't Quint, uh, uh, maybe it wasn't uh, Ruben Wiki, but there's a famous story because R- Ricky Stewart was playing then, yeah. And uh, Johnny Lomax's contract was up, and they couldn't afford him. So Ricky Stewart, um, Quinta Pongia, and all these guys all said, "We'll take pay cuts. We need them." Wow. So they took pay cuts. That that, that that does happen uh, like occasionally in sport. If you make a good culture, I mean, that's the argument that people have with the Roosters. Is you know when people talk about salary cap, they say that they are able to do it because players recognise that. You know the team's stronger, even if they're getting a little bit less money. Some players aren't like that. Some players will take the cash, but um, yeah, others just want to be on a winning team. Would they, so they take the cash or the eat cash? <laughs> they take the the cash, <laughs> the hot, cold hard cash. See my uh, and, and yeah, it's a bit of a cross reference here. But my see my Boston Bruins staff in the NHL have a um, very different way of doing their salary cap than the other teams, which is theirs is basically based on experience. So they spread their cap. You get rewarded for staying with the organisation for a long time. And they they make no secret of the fact that this is how the Bruins run. If you want $13 million a year, like some of these superstars, you're not going to get it here. You're coming here because of the culture, because of the team that we build and the success and the history, etc. Mm. So it works for some clubs, you know? And it probably did work for the Raiders back then. It, well, it was successful, wasn't it? Because they won some titles. Um, but, you know, not every club has that luxury. Others have to sort of just throw the checkbook at them and... You know, hope that they sign. Mm. You know, like there's not really many teams nowadays that do that. The Melbourne's probably one. I reckon guys would take a pay cut to stay in Melbourne. Well, Jack Watton's taking a pay cut. He has to, to go to South. Three hundred grand a year. But I think that's more individual because he's talked about how he wants to play with his mates, and you know, he's obviously been at Canberra for a long time. I think that's a little bit. But you know, yeah, some teams command that sort of. You know what? I'll take less money to go there because I know it's going to 
win me a championship. Mm. LeBron James wouldn't do that. He's chasing the money all day. Third best NBA player of all time. Yeah, I'd say. Mm. Uh, top five. Top five. Top, five. top ten, maybe. Righto. Keep your uh, people for your immortal Kiwis coming in. Double eight, double three, Temper Bear Post Extreme. Or call us. Not much longer to go. 0800 150 811. Oh, we're getting lots of text messages in. And remember, that is thanks to Temper Bear Post. Uh, they got the range of mattresses and bases that adjust to the shape of your body. You can put your feet and your head up and have a good old cosy nap or read your book. Um, what about Tony Kemper's coach? Zaid has suggested. Uh, I think Graham Lowe overwhelmingly has a lot of votes, so maybe he could be assistant coach. Uncle, Uncle Kempe. Uh John Greengrass, early 70s, smashed the Poms. Was he the one that was involved in the famous head-stomping incident? He got his head stomped by a British player. I didn't see it, but I think I've heard of it, and John Greengrass... Rings a bell there. I might be wrong. I haven't heard Brent Todd's name yet. Oh, Graham from the wider upper. Um, you haven't, but you have now. Um, I've got every position locked in with number of votes. Uh, bearing in mind we are moving towards one o'clock. Remembering after one, we have an, the author of the book that has written the immortal state of origin teams for Queensland and New South Wales. We'll be talking to him. So these are the ones that are locked in. Roger Tuivasa-Shek, fullback. Manu Vatavai and Sean Hoppy are the wings. We've got one midfielder in Fred Arkoy. The other one's too close to call. Uh, we've got Olsen Filipina at six. Stacey Jones at seven. Uh, props of Kevin Tamati and Kurt Sorensen. Oh, oh, not a backward step taken. Hooker's still open. Had a lot of different hookers come through. Um, Simon Mannering, Mark Graham, Ruben Wickey. Uh, Bench-wise at the moment, um, Tawid and Eko. Um, Marshall or Sean Johnson, would they be bench players? Um, Jesse Bromwich is on the bench at the moment. This is just on your votes and your suggestions. Um, gosh, these are flooding in. Dean Bell. Gosh, now there's one. Nicky Wright ran down Mel Meninga on the angle to save a certain try. 981 test match. Unbelievable effort. Nicky Wright. Auckland fullback, I think he was. Is that right? Dean Bell. Gosh, can we fit in Dean Bell somewhere as well? Because there's a few Dean Bells coming in now. And we've got a Gary Prome and a Nicky and Owen Wright, Mark Graham, all smoking cigarettes in a car, according to Graham Lowe's book, before they all combined to take New Zealand to the top of International League table. <laughs> oh, a cigarette-smoking team. That'd be an interesting one. Who was the famous one, um, famous All Black? Doug Bruce, I think it was, the first five from Canterbury. Used to, put, used to have a cigarette at halftime in the changing rooms, and he'd put it out on the door as they ran out to uh, play the second half. I don't know whether that's an old wives' tale, but that's a story I've heard. Um, 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 this immortal talk reminds me of the good days when League was vital weekend TV. Old half reno house, TV powered on an extension cord, balanced on a crate, mates in blankets on old chairs, piled high ashtrays, only two choices of beer at the shop, and the other wives bought plates of food. We were cold, poor, and very happy on any given weekend. Whenever Dale Shearer had the ball, 
everyone shouted expletives. Kimberly, P.S. We had those antique ashtrays that spun around and dumped the ash because I was stylish. I remember those ashtrays. My dad had one of those. You pushed the top and it was on a spring. Yeah, and it would spin and it would go into a... Dad's one was sort of a copper colour. Dale Shearer, my favourite origin player of all time. Dale Shearer. Loved him. And he was one of those guys that stepped up in origin. Yeah, he, he was a good club player, but origin... Dale Shearer, loved him. Dane Gagai is another one that's, you know, he's a good NRL player. Plays Origin, next level. Next level. Oh, good text, Kimberly. Thank you. Uh, another one for John Greengrass. I wonder, can someone tell me, was that was he involved in that stomping and there was blood everywhere? I think. Um, lots and lots. Uh, Mark Graham, another Kevin Tamati. Uh, Stacey Jones, Dwayne Mann. We've got a few for Dwayne Mann for Hooker. He's probably got slightly the most votes for Hooker, just over Howie Tamati, a few for Brandon Smith as well. Um, got Jared McCracken. Now, he could be the vacant because I've had a few for him. He could be the vacant centre, actually. Let's put Crackers in there because we're running out of time. Crackers. So just need the Hooker. So it's a Hooker and two bench spots. I'll tell you what I'll do. We'll take our last break this hour and... Um, I'll figure out the final 13 on the bench and I'll give you that before the news. Helping you tune out your annoying workmate. You're listening to Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Uh, very shortly, straight after the news, we are going to talk to Liam Hauser. He has written a book, State of Origin Immortals. He's picked the immortals of all-time State of Origin Queensland and New South Wales teams. We'll go through the teams with him and what he found hard and what he found easy. On the votes, and we had a flood in the last 10 minutes, I've added up. Here's our team. Now, there's going to be some miss out. And say lovey, that's going to happen. Here it is. From the back. Roger Tuivasashek, Dean Bell, Sean Hoppy. Kevin Edel, Fred Arcoy, Olsen Philippina, Stacey Jones in the forwards, front row. Kevin Tamati, Kurt Sorensen, hooker Isaac Luke, Simon Mannering and Mark Graham with Ruben Wiki filling the 13 spot. And on the interchange, I hadn't noticed this name, but he was mentioned a lot in a lover's versatility, Lance Hohaia. He can play nine, six, seven, fullback, very versatile, great 14 jersey. Tawet and Eco, Stephen Kearney, Graham West, and your Immortals team will be coached by Sir Graham Lowe. That is a fine team. I know there's some that have missed out, Benji, uh, the Bromwiches, etc. Can't all make it. But let's find out who the greatest Immortal teams for Queensland and New South Wales are straight after the news. From lunch through to tea, this is Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ.
We've got something special for you today. There is a book out, it was released last week. It's called The Immortals of State of Origin. It was written by Liam Hauser. He's been writing about sport in the great game of league and he's probably the foremost State of Origin expert. His name's Liam Hauser and he joins us now. G'day, Liam. G'day. This it would have been part work and part passion project because you love the game. Yes, well, with one of my other State of Origin books a few years ago, I actually set myself the very burdensome task of watching every game in chronological order from 1980 to 2019, and that enabled me to see not just how every game unfolded, but also the players who were quite prominent and who were consistent. And so when I was asked to put together an all-time best team for both Queensland and New South Wales, well, I knew I'd I'd have my work cut out for me because, I mean, no matter who I pick, I mean, people are going to ask, how can you pick this player and leave out this other player and vice versa? And, uh, yeah, it's a very burdensome task and it's very difficult. But, yeah, you certainly do need to be passionate about it. But having watched every game in chronological order and seeing it all in hindsight as well, or seeing it in retrospect, um, yeah, it's very interesting. But, um, yeah, no doubt there's going to be a bit of controversy no matter who you pick. Like, Like I said before, no matter who I pick, People are going to wonder how certain players can be included and others can be left out. But that's just the nature of the beast. And hopefully it can lead to constructive discussion. I mean, even though there's bound to be disagreements, it's it's all meant to be um, in good in good humour and, and something to enjoy. Yeah, well, you can't argue that you've named unbelievable teams and there's always going to be some that miss out. I mean, I guess the one that will be glaringly uh, debated is Alan Langer's not there because he's sort of one of the absolute greats of the game. But you always find and and I guess the format of the book is you've basically half the book is on Queensland, half the book is on New South Wales. You've got a player in every position. You've got four on the interchange. You've got coaches, full squads. Uh, A, I'd love to see these two teams play at the peak of their powers. That'd be phenomenal. But um, is, is the big talking point since your book came out, rather than just go, yeah, these are great teams, human nature, how's he not made the team? Is that, has that been the discussion point? Um, for, for which one, sorry? That is the talking point when, when people have said it, if they come to you and the first thing is like, well, my favourite origin player of all time is Dale Shearer. And um, just I just really resonate. I loved the way he played. But looking at the... The, the immortal origin team you've named, there isn't room there for them. So is, have people come to you and asked you why player A or player B didn't make it? Oh, for sure. I, I was, sorry, I just wasn't sure if you were referring to any particular players. But uh, yes, well, Alan Langer, like you said before, that's certainly a case in point. Well, actually, Dale Shearer is another one. Well, the thing with Alan Langer well, is that's very tricky is because he played halfback and there's, and there's only one halfback in a team and in my opinion a halfback can't be picked on, on the interchange bench which means that you can only pick one halfback and leave out the others and in, in Queensland's case I just couldn't go past Jonathan Thurston and picking Thurston meant that Alan Langer missed out and Cooper Cronk also missed out and for New South Wales and because Andrew Johns being an immortal to me he had to be picked as a halfback and then, and then that meant there was no room for Ricky Stewart or Peter Sterling. Uh, people have commented on things like that, but once I've explained that, that's mm. sort of, I guess, given them some perspective. But yeah, Dale Shearer is an interesting case because he was State of Origin's leading try scorer for a while. He certainly had a few very good years in the 1980s, but 
the interesting thing in his situation was that even though he made his mark as a winger at first, he then moved positions a bit and was even sometimes on the interchange bench. So having been shuffled around quite a bit as his career wore on, it was a bit hard to be able to settle on a position for him. But, but I think um, the other thing that's come about when people have queried um, the omissions of certain players is that, um, was that, I mean, there's often two or three strong contenders, that, contenders and sometimes they'll opt for the other one. But like that's just the nature of the beast. And the other thing is that some players might be great club players and even um, very good test players, but their origin record might be a different situation. And I've also tried to avoid falling into the trap of picking players just because it's popular to, to pick them and just because they may gain a lot of media exposure. I mean, it's their state of origin record and their state of origin career that needs to be taken into account first and foremost. There's a name on the interchange there for the Queensland team, Arthur Beetson. Now, he's gone down in folklore. I've never seen Arthur Beetson play a whole game. I've only ever seen the odd highlight that they play at origin time. Can you, um, for the listeners, but even more importantly for me, explain to me about, I know he was one of the big generators of starting state of origin, but Arthur Beetson, the player, can you talk to me about his influence and his ability as a player? Well, Beetson burst onto the scene in the 1960s and he had a very long career. And, and interestingly, in the, in the interstate series when Queensland and New South Wales games were played on a state of residence basis, he actually played for New South Wales for more than 10 years. But yes, he became an immortal of the game, one of only 13 uh, immortals. Yeah, he basically um, was the cornerstone of, of, um, of in terms of forwards and in terms of how and in terms of how um, a forward could make an impact in the game. I mean, I mean he certainly, um, with his size and with his shape, he was a formidable presence. And the way he could ruck the ball up constantly and draw in three or four defenders and, and often be able to slip and unload, um, you know, be able to offload the ball as well. So he was a handful for more, in more ways than one for opposition defenders and he could, he could charge the ball up um, with with a lot of power as well, and he was a very solid defender. He was a real leader and a real inspiration, and he was someone who who players who they really liked to play with. And the other thing, the other thing about Arthur Beetson that's quite prominent is that he's the first Indigenous person to captain an Australian side in any sport, not just rugby league. Mm. So, so yeah, there's a lot of lot of um, achievement there. And with State of Origin, having played for New South Wales um, for so many years in the in the interstate series and then being finally able to pull on his beloved maroon colours, yeah, to, to finally be able to do that when he was in his mid-30s in the twilight of his career, um, that was something that, that the younger players in the team could really draw a lot of inspiration from with his history and with his legacy to be able to play with him. So even though he played only one state of origin game, just his leadership and, and his desire to win and his passion in his mid-30s as he finally managed to wear the maroon colours. It was something that was that was a really big mo- moment, a really big defining moment, and especially with the state against state, mate against mate thing, because he certainly did not go easy on his 
Parramatta teammates, <laughs> and when they were playing, who were playing in the New South Wales side. So a club um, state of origin and test level, Arthur Beetson, yeah, um, a real legend of the game. Um, I'm going to run through both teams. First of all, I'm going to do Queensland. At the end, just for our listeners, so they know the squads you've put together, this is the Immortals of Queensland. At the end of it, I want to ask you who was the easiest pick and which was the, the hardest position to pick because there were so many contenders. So I'll give you like 10 seconds to think about that while I read the, our listeners the team. So it goes, Billy Slater, Darius Boyd, Greg Inglis, Gene Miles, Dane Gagai, uh, The King, Wally Lewis, Jonathan Thurston, uh, the forwards are Shane Webke, Cam Smith, Petro Sivanasiva, Nate Miles, Gary Larson. Oh, I loved Gary Larson. Uh, Bob Lidner. And then the interchange of Lockyer. Uh, the Warriors, Steve Price. I know the Bulldogs will claim him. Uh, Arthur Beetson, Trevor Gilmeister, Coach Mel Meninga. Can you recall what was the first name you wrote down? Easiest name. Cameron Smith. Mm. Yeah, yeah well, well, certainly Cameron Smith and Wally Lewis, that's for sure. Yeah, and which was the hardest one because there was so there was so much quality to, to try and actually nail it down to one? Well, I think probably the fullback and 5'8 positions um, because was Billy Slater, Wally Lewis and Darren Lockyer um, because basically those three had to be picked somewhere but three doesn't go into two, so it was a case of well, who goes full? Who goes to fullback out of Lockyer and Slater, and then and then there's Lockyer or Wally Lewis at five eight, and then which one is on the interchange bench? So, probably, so it was probably a case of um, with the fullback and and five eight, um, and so in the end, in the end, um, yeah, Lockyer um, was picked on the bench because he can cover both positions. Mm. But um, I must say that that um, the selection of Dan Gagai on one wing has. Proved to be a little bit contentious among some people I've spoken to. So, so being, uh, being able to fulfil, being able to fill this one, one wing position, um, yeah, so, um, that was a bit difficult as well. I mean, Darius Boyd to me was a fairly straightforward selection, but I mean, Dan Gagai, he's one of those players who might not get a great deal of media exposure. One sort of thing I was talking about before, but if you look at his Origin record and his Origin career, he's he's won Man of the Match awards and he's scored quite a lot of tries, and so. So the key thing for any reader is if there's any selections that are a bit contentious or that they might not agree with, the thing is to read the chapter because it's not just a case of analysing a player's origin career but also seeing why I've picked him, why, to see the justification as to why they've been selected. Yeah, and, and the format of the book is um, like Billy Slater's got eight pages on him. There's beautiful photos as well. And once you've finished reading each chapter on each of the players, you just go, okay, I get it. Let's do the same thing for New South Wales. Tim Brasher, Michael O'Connor, Jewel International, uh, Brett Kenny, Paul McGregor, Andrew Eddinghausen, Laurie Daly, Andrew Johns. Uh, then we go Lazarus, Baderis, Harrigan, Pierce, Cordner, Brad Fittler plays Locke. And on the bench, we've got Tuvi, Menzies, Gillespie, Roach, coached by the great Phil Gould. Easiest and toughest. Give us those two. Uh, the easiest um, two definitely would have been Laurie Daly and Andrew Johns. To me, they just had to be in there. Mm. Um, well, probably the most um, difficult ones would have, would have been at fullback because at fullback, there were certainly some strong contenders like James Tedesco and Anthony Minicello and Gary Jack. But in the end, I, I went for Tim Brasher, who, again, is someone who probably didn't get a, a lot of media exposure, but 
But the thing is, he was the custodian during a very successful period for New South Wales in the 1990s. In fact, at one stage, he was their only fullback over a period of time, while Queensland used six different fullbacks. So Tim Brasher, yeah, that's probably the most difficult one. But, but I thought he deserved to be rewarded for his longevity and his consistency during such a successful period for New South Wales. So picking Brasher ahead of Tedesco was, you know, like I say, probably a bit difficult, but I bit the bullet and, and did it. Um, yeah, so that was probably the most difficult selection of all. And even trying to come up with with um, the forward pack. The forward pack was a bit different. It was a bit difficult as well as a bit different from the Queensland one because because like, New South Wales had a lot of consistent front rows and, and, and second rows especially. But being able to sort of narrow it down was quite difficult. And, and in, this, in the case of Brad Fittler, actually, um, because Brad Fittler, Brett Kenny and Laurie Daly, I wanted all three of them in the starting side and, and realistically any of them could have been picked at 5'8". Um, and in the end, Fittler was moved to lock because he's the only one of those three who played in the forwards. So, I, And he was a very good lock forward as well. He was very good wherever he played, in fact, Fittler. So I moved him to lock. And Kenny was moved to centre mainly because that often happened at test level where he was moved there to accommodate Wally Lewis at 5'8". And in this case, I wanted to pick Laurie Daly at 5'8 for New South Wales because he captained New South Wales to three straight series wins at one stage and he was an inspirational player as well as a great leader. So to me, Laurie Daly deserved the 5'8 role, even though a lot of people might have Brad Fittler or Brett Kenny there instead. We're talking to Liam Hauser. The name of the book is Immortals of State of Origin. I haven't read it all yet, but I've flicked through. I've picked out my favourite players and read about them. Absolutely loved it. Uh, Liam, before we go, uh, 2023, State of Origin isn't far away. The impossible task of predicting what you think might happen this year. Yeah, it's always, yeah, it's always very, very hard to know what's going to happen next. I mean, as a Queenslander, I, my heart always basically... Um, Thinks the Maroons can do it. Um, I think. I think last year, actually, game three, when they won without Cameron Munster. Um, I mean, as soon as Munster was ruled out of the series, decided last year, I thought Queensland surely could not do it. But oh, gee, the Maroons, what an incredible victory that was! In my opinion, probably the greatest upset in Origin history. So my heart is tipping Queensland to do it again, but uh, my head might might be leaning a bit the other way. I always feel like. In origin, Queensland play like mongrel dogs and New South Wales is sort of the Afghan or the poodle. Well, the thing is, the, the, the mindset is different because, because of the history of, of the two states, especially in, in rugby league, because with um, New South Wales having having dominated the interstate series before state of origin began, uh, whereas whereas Queensland, um, having having been beaten so often for so long, um, often with expatriate Queenslanders in the New South Wales side. Um, yeah, it's a completely different mentality. So for Queenslanders to be able to call on their, their expatriates, it, it, it took on a whole different meaning. It, it meant a whole lot more to Queensland, seemingly, at the start. But obviously the game has changed and evolved, and with the, professional, with the professionalism of the game, yeah, it's it's changed a lot, and also with a lot of players um, now who who weren't necessarily even born in in New South Wales or Queensland, it 
and with the game evolving and with the professionalism of it, it's yeah, it, it's certainly changed a lot. Well, the state of origin, I don't know whether you know how, how rapidly it's followed over here in New Zealand, which has uh, always delighted me and puzzled me because New Zealand isn't involved, but um, bars sell out, functions are put on, everyone's so aligned with either the Blues or the Maroons. It's it's fantastic. And so I wish you all the best with your book over on this side of the Tasman, uh, Liam, The Immortals of State of Origin. I would encourage people to go and have a little look at it. It's uh, something that you put on your shelf and pull out at any time because there's so many good chapters. Every player, interchange, coaches uh, with a chapter, great photos as well, uh, memories of a wonderful series that's, as I say, really popular over here in New Zealand. Liam, uh, appreciate your time today. Um, can't wait for, for more of your work, because from what I've seen of this, I absolutely love it. Uh, cheers for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Much appreciated. Now, Sammy, I love it when you get a new passion. Like you've had it with space, you've had it with your lawns, you got it with Formula One, and now you got it with golf and some um, Google Earth picking the street game. But golf, GeoGuessr, GeoGuessr, uh, golf handicapping. You've yeah. done some research, you've found some work. Share with me. Smithy is very excited to hear this is too. He? By the way, yes, listen in, Smithy. Now, um, I want to preface this by saying. We're all too hard on ourselves, staff, when it comes to daily life, but golf in general. um, You know, a lot of people think that they're a lot better than they are, and you put a lot of pressure on yourself to score. Like, for me personally, I put a lot of pressure on myself to break 100. Every time I go out, I've got to break 100, got to break 100. If I get off track, I just, I lose lose it, right? Even though I do generally better on the back nine. Um, So have a listen to this. I'm going to read some of this verbatim, okay? This comes from Golf Digest. Um, which I, d- I love following. Follow it on Instagram and um, and have a read of some of the articles. They're fantastic. So George Thurner remembers the phone call. The handicap chair of a prominent golf club reached out to him after the same player won all three of the major handicap events for two straight years. So he won six tournaments in two years. The club couldn't figure out how this accountant in his mid-50s was gaming the system. He was turning in all his scores, and the handicap committee checked with those he played with to make sure those scores were accurate. Still, he kept winning. (laughs) Although the club's handicap committee could not solve the issue, Therner's Cap Patrol algorithm figured it out quickly. So Cap Patrol is an app that uh, I think you can download, um, but it's also you know this program that this guy's invented. Comparing the scores revealed that others in his group always posted scores from the back tees, but the player in question always posted from the most forward tees, a 3.2 shot difference. The club banned him from all events for life once the information was verified. Thurner says he ended up leaving the club. It's why he created Cat Patrol. The algorithm-based software program syncs with the US Golf Association's Golf Handicap Information Network and course T-sheets and uses 43 data points over five primary criteria. Handicap index during the past 12 months, home scores versus away scores, potential of the player, percentage of scores turned in, and tournament finishes. Cat Patrol puts those numbers in a data blender and then recommends which handicaps need to be adjusted by how many strokes as well as who to keep an eye on and who to leave alone during a tournament. Okay? Now, this app, which I believe you can get, I, I know it's a US app, but I believe you can get it as well if you're a Kiwi. I, I'm, I haven't checked that, though, so maybe jump on the Is app store. Is it CAP? Yeah, CAP. Cap, cap control, like handy control. cap control, yeah. Okay. The app features a hot gauge. So these are some of the features of the app, right? It features a hot gauge that indicates if you're ice cold, on fire, or somewhere in between. Calculates your clutch percentage. So um, how you play in tournaments versus everyday play. So you have a percentage of that. And how you're trending. So whether you're sort of riding high or on the way down, it provides a real-time club ranking of how you're faring against the rest of your club 
Mm. So it compares your handicaps there. You can also look up similar data on every other player at the club. Um, nowhere does it indicate whether you're looking at an adjustment or not. But perhaps the most entertaining feature, and this is where I want everyone to listen out for, anyone who's a golfer, perhaps the most entertaining feature is the odds section, mm. which calculates the probability of a certain handicap shooting a certain score. For example, a 72 shot by a 10 handicapper should happen once every 194 years, <laughs> according to the USGA probability table. So, so think never. about that again. A 10 handicapper shooting even par. And look, I'm high in the 20s, but if you were a 10 handicapper, you probably are aiming for that sort of break-even score. That's your, that's your Magnus Open, right? Once every 134 years. If you were to stay at a 10 handicap, you know, continuously, you're not getting better, essentially. Anything over once every 16 years is what they call beyond reasonable. So you shouldn't shoot, if you're a 10 handicapper, you shouldn't shoot 72 three times a year. If you do, serious, serious questions will be asked if you're playing in a tournament. Um, so I've got actually all the stats here. Mm. Now, do you want me to, to do some of them now? Or would you rather me just hold this for, like I can hold them for what's making news? Give, or? Give, like, I, while you were just saying that, I was trying to think of, like you, you go into, gosh, how do I say this? The lower your handicap the less you should be able to beat it by on a good day. Mm. So a 10 handicapper going 10 under his handicap is wildly more difficult than a 32 handicapper going under their Correct. handicap by 10. And I was just trying to think my best ever score and what handicap was I on. Because when you're playing stable fits, right, the high handicappers have a massive advantage because they're yeah, given quite a lot of shots. If you play, play stable fits and 45 points win, which is nine shots under your handicap. Yeah, and so if you if you have got a high handicap, stable fits work in your because if you play your normal golf, which is probably pretty bad if you're a high handicapper, it doesn't matter. Whereas if you're a good golfer, you have to play good golf to get stable fit points. Mm. So I'll give you a couple, right? So. Like I said, people's expectations with golf, highly unrealistic, and here's why. So a scratch golfer, how often do you think a scratch golfer should be hitting 70? So two under, if it's a 72 par course, hitting a 70, how often do you think they should do that? So scratch. Before that, I gave you, I've sort of um, skewed it by giving you that 194 years one, but just what you would think off the top of your head. See, I think if a scratch golfer, if they played... Let's say they had 100 rounds a year. Yeah. I think they'd shoot two under or better uh, maybe 15 times. Once every six months is what wow. this So twice a year. A, wow. a scratch golfer should be hitting two under. I've got five handicap, 10 handicap, 15, 20. I'll give you a 21, okay? So a 20 handicapper which is, and now I play off, uh, I'm about a 26 or something, 27, so I'm not close to this, but a 20 handicapper theoretically would be hitting 92s on a regular basis. How often do you think, well, it's actually very similar. How often do you think they hit 90? It's once every six months. 87. Now that is, you were mentioning before, it's harder for someone who's a scratch golfer to shoot five under than it is someone who's on a 20 handicap. How often do you think a 20 handicapper could be hitting an 87? So, be, oh, it depends if they've plateaued or they're still on the improve. I think this That's is point number one. This this is assuming that you're a twenty handicapper constantly, like you're not. And you've dropping. been there for a decade. Yeah, yeah. Over the course of oh, they'd do that four times a year. Eighty-seven. Yeah. For a ninety for a twenty handicapper, once every three and a half years. Wow. Yeah. 
So just take this into take this these these sorts of odds and these numbers into you know into the equation when you're thinking about what you should be shooting on a golf course or the pressure you put yourself on. It gets pretty gnarly when you start talking about some like once in a lifetime scores. Now I so, see it, so my best ever round. Yeah, it's um, only a brag, but I used to play a lot, a lot of golf. I was on an eight. Yeah, and I shot seventy two. Right, eight, so eight under my handicap on okay. an eight. You shot a 72 yeah. and you're on an 8. A 10 <laughs> handicapper shooting 72 yeah. once every 194 years. <laughs> I am the second coming. <laughs> you are the second. Now, now, now it admittedly, it was a 72. It was off the front tees at Wairaki. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just had a build up. Wow. Yeah, it's and, and look, it's not to say that you wouldn't hit that. Like, once every 194 years, you've hit it. You probably won't hit it for another 194 years. It can happen. The point I think it's highlighting is this, is if you're playing with a mate who plays off a 25 handicap and he tells you that he's shot three scores of 80 in the last year, well, he's telling you fibs because by this he should only hit that once every 60 years. So he's either fibs or he's not actually on that handicap. Correct. His yeah. handicap's yeah. wrong. And that's, we're going to the genius. Oh, this is now, great. If you wanna, now, just quickly, if you do want to go and find these odds in sort of a, an easier to read format, just go on the Golf Digest Instagram page. They posted it in like a table. Yeah, very, very fascinating. Amazing. Yeah. News with Johnny Mac. That needs to digest. The Blue Highway. The Blue Highway runs from anywhere in the world into Hatai and it branches off to Patoni where in one of those two locales we find Paulie Mawadi. Paulie! Jackson Street, that's where I am. Yeah, boy, the Jackson Street Ivory Towers. Basketball, I know you love it. Oh, boy. And we've got a game on our hands right now. Philadelphia 76ers taking it to the Boston Celtics in game five of their seven-game series. They're up 102.85 at the moment. Um, you can still get on them at a dollar one if you want to. The <laughs> Celtics are at fourteen dollars, uh, or you could take the Celtics plus ten and a half at two dollars, uh, or the 76ers minus ten and a half at a dollar seventy-seven. I could tell you, pre-match, most of the support was going the way of the Boston Celtics. So, bit of a turn up here for punters. The 76ers in command in the fourth quarter. And, of course, we've got another Game 5 today. Oh, Nuggets yes. up against the Suns. It's a big one. Nuggets are $1.36 favourite. The Suns, $3.05. Uh, the total for that game, currently 227.5. Under at $1.85, over at $1.87. And the boys have put together a whole heap of power plays for you to have a little go on. And there's also a boosted option there. A Jokic to get a triple double and Booker and Durant to score thirty or more points, and that's been boosted out to seven dollars and fifty cents. Have the Warriors shortened it all this way? The New Zealand Warriors, not the Golden State ones. The uh, New Zealand Warriors <laughs> shortened it all, and tongue in cheek, I say this when we're clearly going to get the rub of the green with the referees this weekend. They've gone the other way. They've drifted. Oh. They were around a dollar sixty-five, a dollar sixty-seven earlier this week. They're now out to a dollar eighty, and the Bulldogs are in to a dollar ninety-five. Probably on the back of the news that the Fox will be turning out for oh, the Bulldogs oh. after a wee bit of an injury break. So probably the worst week for Warriors fans for the Fox to come back. 
Um, so yeah, the dogs are now into a dollar ninety-five. Warriors a dollar eighty, but that hasn't stopped the Warriors supporters. They're jumping on and they're they're, they're banking on the Warriors getting the rub of the green on at least one fifty-fifty call. Uh, the biggest match I reckon is tomorrow night, um, and we're going. It's going to be in our revision mirror come Friday. But Melbourne Storm now the Broncos. Look, I really feel sorry for them with the draw they've received. They have to leave Brisbane to play a game, and they have to go to Melbourne. A tough draw on Brisbane. <laughs> How do they get an away game during Magic Round? <laughs> and an away game against the Dolphins at their home ground. Yes, exactly. And, oh, gee, and look at the Warriors. It was their home game in Brisbane as well. Oh, just unbelievable. But the the big game uh, on Thursday night, uh, what is it? Storm, $1.72. The Broncos, $2.08. Also a boosted option there for punters. Xavier Coates to be an anytime try scorer and the Storm to win 1-12. to That's been boosted out to 6.50. Whole heap of power plays again. And punters really do like getting stuck into this. I know you like to look at the bottom mm, start, of the market. Start at the start bottom. At, start at the $41 shot and work your way back until you find one you like. Um, so I'm sure you will be able to find something there that uh, takes your sort of interest. I don't mind Xavier Coates getting uh, uh, two or more tries in the first half at $12. Uh, he's just, he's slowly built into the season. It looks like he's really starting to um, sort of hit uh, a form that we saw him uh, have, like it was at a season or two ago. So Xavier Coates, two or more tries in the first half at $12. That has been uh, backed by a few punters. I got my $10 one. Nick Meany, first, second, or third try scorer. Melbourne win one to twelve. That's my one. Ten bucks. Fantastic! <laughs> I knew you'd find one. <laughs> it, it wasn't going to be a two dollar or a three dollar shot. Hell no! Hell no! Once it starts going under double figures, I go to a different game. But I, I've got my seatbelt on. Strap yourself in, Nick Meany. Let's go. <laughs> Oh, dear, oh, dear. oh, very quickly, very quickly. In the first hour, we were yes. picking our Kiwis Immortals because we just had an author on who picked the Queensland Immortals, the New South Wales Immortals. I love the Immortals concept over there in Australia. If we had a Kiwis Immortals, give me your number one forward and your number one back that would be an Immortal. We're talking rugby league? Rugby league. Rugby league, right. Um, I guess for the Kiwis, if we're talking about a back... And I'm probably going to go with someone like a Stacey Jones. Yes, he's our half, um, or our, our, our scrum half, halfback, whatever you want to call him. Yeah, yep. so, yeah, he's got the seven. Yep. Give us one of the boppers yep. in the front. One of the big boys. Um, or a hooker. I'm, yeah, well, I'm, I'm probably going to go with, we're going back a few years now. This is good. And uh, I, know what, a, I know what you're going to say. Come on. <laughs> He had a bit of a sideline stoush with Greg Dowling. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I can never forget that. That is an, a rugby league image that is ingrained in my head. I just cannot get rid of it. Yes. Um, so, yeah, Mr. Sorensen. <laughs> Mr. Tamati. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Tamati, yeah, yeah, sorry. Mr. Yeah. Tamati. Yeah. I won't tell Mr. Yeah. Tamati you called him Mr. Sorensen or he'll come find no. you on the sideline. <laughs> 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 he probably he probably still could. Yeah, he probably still could too, mate. Hey, good chat, Paulie. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, very good. Thanks, Steph. Cheers, mate. Uh, promotions, all the in-play markets, like the NBA, another one about to crack on underway.
very, very soon. TAB.co.nz or download the app. We'll take a break and we'll come back and find out what's making news. Helping you tune out your annoying workmate. You're listening to Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Ladies and gentlemen, I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. What's making news around the world? What's that smile for? I don't know. What do you got for me? No, what's that smile for? I don't know. Is it related to something we were talking about in the break? Yeah. What is it? I thought your first item of what's making news might be the most recent text message we've got. (laughs) No. From Chris. We're just debating, Chris, as to whether or not you mean plus five as in he's... Shoot, five. Si- shoot 67 to play to his handicap, yeah. or is it shoot 77? 77. So clarify that for us, Chris, and then we'll continue that conversation. Um, now, who is the bigger lunatic? Captain K or who? No. The woman who stole 20 boxes of body parts and sold them, or the guy who spent 10K buying them? There's a little philosophical question for you while I tell you the story. Uh, an Arkansas woman has pleaded not guilty to charges she stole body parts from medical school, is it Cadavere's, and sold them through Facebook for $11,000. Candi- uh, Candice, which is, you know, that's prime body selling name Candace. type area. A 36-year-old former mortuary services worker, a mortuary, mortuary uh, is accused of selling 20 boxes of everything from human skin to skulls to a man in Pennsylvania. Um, according to a federal grand jury indictment uh, unsealed by Little Rock Court on Friday. Uh, Scott was charged, this is her last name, 12 counts of mail fraud, wire fraud, and interstate transportation of stolen property. Uh, According to court documents, worked for a company that offered commercial cremation services. One of the clients was an anatomy lab at the University of Arkansas, which used donated cadavers for medical education and research. So she's stolen it, she's sent it, he's bought it. Who is the bigger lunatic of the two? Him. For buying it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because she's just doing it for money. Yeah. He's doing it. He's got a reason. What's he building? Yeah. That's actually quite scary now. Mm. Now, um, Stranger Things. Did you watch Stranger Things? Negative. No, but it is a big show. Um, Did you watch Captain K? Yeah, Captain K's a big fan. Uh, It's on pause, people. Season 5, which is the the show finale. A lot of hype around it. Um, It's on pause because uh, there's a writer's strike going on in Hollywood. Teachers strike tomorrow. Um, around the country and uh, there's a writer's strike over in Hollywood so uh, the Duffer Brothers who are these masterminds behind Stranger Things have said that um, yeah they've they put the whole show on pause uh, that will push back the release date as well so you're going to have to wait a little bit longer for Stranger Things people unfortunately such as the world such as life uh, they're um, striking by the way after weeks of negotiations for a new contract for film and scripted television ended in a stalemate uh, previous contract with the between the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers and the Writers Guild of America expired on May the 2nd wow. and they haven't been able to reach an agreement so a bit of a standoff bit of a stalemate bit of a lockout the Writers Guild sort of weird because I sort of thought they'd be like contractors if you're a good writer you're just a good writer but yeah but here's the thing like Stranger Things he's vibe that they can't get uh, the, the big names over the line do they just get like the the budget part timer and to finish off the script mm. season Ch- 5 just episode 4 just starts going downhill big time chat GPT oh well not bad actually AI that, I mean, okay you guys strike we'll get this bot to write it yeah and like it'll just go and look at all the other episodes and probably put something together that's just as good oh I've just thought of something I found out last night that you'll find fascinating. Are you going to bring it up? 
Shall I do it now? Um, why not? It's AI. Go on. So apparently, mm-hmm. some of the most successful crime podcasts yes, sir. that are being have been released in the last six months are all written by AI mm. and voiced by AI. And it'll be like, what's, what's a famous crime in New Zealand without offending anyone? Rainbow Warrior, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, write me a 20,000-worded podcast on what happened with the Rainbow Warrior in Auckland. Mm-hmm. It'll do it. And then you, you read about two paragraphs of voice sample, and then it will record the whole thing in your own voice. So it will take six months' work down to a day. That's and insane. The, and the podcasts are getting and, and yeah, they do the, they're doing that now with podcast editing. They're getting the AI to chop the when the cameras change between the hosts and the guests. And now when people do that manually, it takes like 12. If it's an hour podcast, two-hour podcast, it's taking 12 hours. The AI does it in about 30 seconds. Mm. Just goes through and takes it all. Chris is texting. Has to shoot five under. Plays handicap. Uh, Chris, if you don't mind, can you tell us what your son's name is? Because we're trying to find it on the New Zealand Handicap <laughs> Index and we couldn't find... Because Grant Fox is plus eight. In old Grant Venetian. Fox or... Uh, Ryan. Yeah. Ryan's plus eight. So if your son's on a five... Daniel he, Hillier. He is in the top 30 golfers in the country. Better than Luke Toomey. Um, Dominic Barson. I actually played in a pro-am with Dominic Barson. Murawai Pro-am. Someone's asking me about... Cat, the way I pronounce cadavers, okay, I don't know what the word is. Cad, cad, cadavers or cadavers or cadavers, cadavers. I don't know. Oh, cadavers. Cadavers. Is it? Yeah. Is it cadavers? Yeah. Doesn't doesn't look like cadavers. Uh, cadavers at a mortuary. Mm. Mortuary. Yeah. Mortuary. Mortuary. Um, <laughs> the top ten. This is to finish. We only got a minute. The top ten travel bug destinations, and I don't mean as in uh, you want to go there. I mean travel bug as in when you go there, you get sick. Oh. That's been published. The top 10 travel bug destinations. I don't know what you think is going to be number one, but hit me anyway. Is it countries or cities or venues? You can go cities, but I'll accept a country in this in this case. Africa. Oh, that's a continent. Let's go uh, Let's go India. No, that's. I need that. You know um, QI, where mm-hmm. it's like they, they play there. It's not India. Um, Punta Cana in the Dominican Republic. That is the number one. Funnily enough, wow. then we've got a uh, city in Egypt, city in Cape Verde, 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 Verde. Uh, two in Mexico, one in uh, Bali actually appears on the list in number seven or eight. Wow. Um, yeah, and a couple more as well. But I was very surprised it wasn't India because I thought everyone talks about Delhi Belly and not Auckland. Not Auckland. That's not on there. You don't really get sick. you get sick in another way. You don't you get, get sick of living here. Yeah, and you get mentally sick. Yeah. Um, I have got a good uh, fact of the day that I might save till after the break. If that's okay with please you. Please do. Please do. Mark, Sam. I would like to talk to you about the great country of Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. We love Puerto Rico. <laughs> yeah, Puerto Rico. Do you know much about Puerto Rico? Nothing. Uh, they got some good uh, baseballers coming out of what Puerto Rico. What if I told you that Puerto Rico is actually the tip of a very large underwater mountain that descends 30,000 feet to the bottom of the Caribbean Sea? That is the height, nearly the height of Everest. They live on the top of Everest, but it's underwater. Correct. That is amazing. Things you know. That Puerto is amazing. Rico. Puerto Rico. So, you don't go for a holiday to Puerto Rico, you just get dropped off at the summit of the mountain. <laughs> That's great. You get dropped off at the summit of Puerto Rico. I like that. Oh. It probably mean, it probably translates to giant mountain or something, doesn't it? Or tip of the mountain. I don't know. Oh. Tip of the mountain to you. Izzy and Kempi interviewed uh, the... Oh, we should talk about that after two. handicapper. 
Okay. Kakite, after the news. Puerto Rico. <laughs> Puerto Rico. The tap. Now, we've been discussing about the syndicate. Uh, fine player, Mitchell Kale, like top 40 in the country. We didn't mention his name, but now we have Mitchell Kale. Um, five under, we found him on the handicap index. Good player. Very good player. Um, so, just for a clarification, Chris, I think the point that I tried to make at the beginning of when we were talking about that was this is assuming that someone doesn't get better so it's if you're a 10 handicap for life you never go up or down here are the sort of the odds so with someone like your son I imagine he's getting better so he probably does shoot better scores from well, time to time you can't get much better than a plus 5 minus 5 that's true that's yeah. true but you know what I mean like he's going to shoot better scores because he's going to be playing better and stuff. this is all designed for tournament play I think it is I think it's more about tournaments although the app is about mixing your tournaments and your everyday scores but I think to your point sometimes you know, you can be hitting well every day at your golf course, but then when you go to tournaments, you're playing off the black tees, competition, yeah, four days, like When I was a club golfer, and I think the lowest I got to was about an eight, And but you you get your eight handicap off the white tees. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I didn't I didn't care about playing white, blue. I play golf to enjoy myself, and everyone's like, oh, we'll go off the blues today. I'm like, why? I, I want to hit seven irons into the green, not fours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't enjoy it as much. I'd go whites all the time, and that's how I established my handicap. You go and weigh go away and play in the cows or the lawnmaster or something like that and you're off the back tees hardest pins I couldn't even get close to my handicap yeah. I'd go and shoot 90 on yeah, an 18 it's, it's, it's not about it's not about tournaments for me either but um mm. It's a, and look, it's, of course there's going to be people who, statistical outliers, this is as a conglomerate of statistics, right? And um, Well, what Golf Digest have done here, they've yeah. done the, Golf Digest have done this story and they are now the Jason Paris of golf. They've created a conversation. They've created a conversation. Well, can, can I just say quickly, um, we're going to get Kirsty Lawrence up very, very shortly. Um, like, and the handicap in New Zealand, staff is your uh, eight, uh, eight best scores of your last 20. So it, your handicap is you playing your best golf as well. Like, I, it says I'm a 27, and I've only broken 100 once. <laughs> so how does that make sense? <laughs> when I broke it, I shot 92, but, you know... I'm I'm clearly like a thirty because I never break a hundred. So it's your it's your best scores sort of averaged out over twenty rounds. Yeah, yeah, it is. It really is. Alrighty. Um, I'll just uh, I'll just clean up a couple of text messages about our rugby league immortals uh, from Brett. They won't get into the team of the immortals, but special mention must go to the Paul brothers who always flew in from the UK to play the Anzac Test. I agree. I always had so much respect for them, much like Chris Wood for the All Whites as well. Um, yeah, 100%. Now, there's a cool thing going on in the racing industry. We quite often talk to jockeys and trainers and farriers and vets and all that sort of stuff. Now, we're going to talk to a, um, a trainer very shortly, but have we got the audio of the little uh, escapade that I wanted us to play into this little segment? Please, please. And what it is, is lots of kids are members of pony clubs and they love their horses and they love to jump. 
But this time they love their horses and they love to race and they get the full race day experience. The kids go along with their ponies. They put on the jockey silks and they start sort of halfway down the front straight. I feel like it was a two or three hundred metre race. They have the race day commentator calling them home. They have the family and friends in the crowd. And the winners come back to scale and they can raise the whip and salute the judge and they get the ribbons and all of that paraphernalia. And it's a really, really cool day. And there is a series of them. This is what it sounds like. They're underway. Just an illusion made of flyer. Glencree Bazooka off the inside away. Well took the lead. Running on wider is Oakwood Oopsie Daisy. Between those is Glencree Zipper. It's Glencree Bazooka. Oakwood Oopsie Daisy coming quickly. Wider Penelope late. Oakwood Oopsie Daisy goes to Glencree Bazooka. Wider is Penelope. The far side. Rosewood Covergirl late. Rosewood Covergirl coming at them. And Rosewood Covergirl. Covergirl won it. Rosewood, Covergirl and Zara Howarth beat home. Oakwood up to Daisy, close for third between Justin Illusion and Penelope. Now, they don't call it a race, they call it a scurry. I love that. Joining us now, a uh, wonderful woman who's behind this initiative, Kirsty Lawrence, joins us. Kirsty, it's so cool. It's Where did this idea come from? It's a little bit crazy, actually. Um, to quote Roger James and all the stuff he's done, I put a fishing line into the water and pulled up a whale. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was just crazy. My daughter actually did the Pony Scurry series way back when Shakespeare, whose name I can't say, the very, very long series they did, whereby they were, the winner got a trip to Dubai. Um, it was done through Hawks Bay Racing, and it kind of it fell away and, and, and disappeared, and they had so many rules and regulations and age restrictions, etc., but... I kind of recognise we have to do something for the industry to try and get some more kids involved in our industry, and, and um, oh, it's been amazing. What's the kids' reaction been to it? Actually, first of all, what, what is the age range of the quasi-jockeys in these scurry events? And then secondly, what's their reaction to it when they, when they get to do it? It's really crazy. So it's, we've been 10 to 16. So 16 is the age for um, a child riding a pony anyway in any competition. So um, 10 is just that little bit of um, bit of maturity that it's quite. It's a pretty big day. It's a pretty cool experience. Um, Reaction-wise, um, you've just got to look through some of the videos that are on the Love Racing page of the grins from ear to ear. Um, I think some of the parents are more excited than the children in some cases. Um, but I think the thing for me is that the reaction to these, t- these kids that are getting a chance to be riding on a race course, that they kind of see a hollowed ground. They see it on TV, and now these kids are getting the same experience they do with the riders race day and they really appreciate the opportunity to be on a race course on a race day um, and the reactions have been incredible. Yeah and I love that um, it's you've just said it's the real experience and the fact that the race day commentator they commentate the race the kids and the family can all hear their horses names and the jockey got mentioned when she went across and won and then they come back and there was one particular photo, and it must have been a winner of one of these scurry races. The smile on the kid's face, the ribbons around the horse's neck. I was just like, I love this initiative. Is it something you'd like to see as an as an annual thing? Yeah, so that's what we're going to do. So we've um, so part of the experience was making it the full race experience. And the time they arrive on the course, um, they they get um, they meet. Um, we meet, we've tried to meet a rider or a trainer. The trainers have been crazy in terms of what we've done. So they get they get sponsored by a trainer. And one of the things that started out, Holly Winyard actually had a great idea, and she put some riding instructions in her colour bag. Well, that's gone a bit crazy because now all the trainers, we put a little hint out, so all of them are going to the front and all of them are told to kick and all of them are told to go straight. Um, but there's been some great 
the great stuff in there, and that Holly's written that these colours are one a million dollar race, you know, and, and just got these kids a little bit excited about doing it. Um, but right from there, they then go, they get their colours. We explain to them the importance of the colours in the industry and how some of the new colours and some of the old colours. Um, they get to meet the riders. We go through the weigh rooms. They get the behind-the-scenes race day experience. Um, but then coming right to the base, they're taken through the through the parade ring and bird cage by the clerk of the course. Um, they get all that experience. They get the winning, um, the margins, um, the photo finish. Um, you see the video from the weekend that we've, we've pulled the photo finish out on three occasions now of the four scurries we've done. So how cool is that, um, that the races are that close? Um, and then even coming in, every kid gets a prize. They all get a ribbon as a garland goes on the winner that's sponsored by Cambridge Strange. Uh, but they all go away with prizes and a big bag of um, a hay bag that's sponsored by the clubs and, and you know they go away with this amazing experience in racing. And look, I've had two kids over the first story that have signed slow track work riders licenses. Um, if I can get ten percent of these kids interested in racing, whether it be race day riding or involved in the industry in the background, job done. It's so cool. And I bet they can't wait for another crack at it as well once they've had that taster. Uh, it's mental, actually. I've got those big Rickard and ones. That, um, big heads up to a uh, big um, well done to Tim and Jim, Tim Mills and Jim at uh, at Christchurch. The first time they've done it down there, the passion down there for it was mental. Those guys all want to come back. Um, and I, I originally started doing a six course field at Hastings. Um, every race course I'm at now, I'm doing a full field of eight. I've got 16 riders at New Plymouth on Saturday, <laughs> and we go to the last of the weekend after that for another 16. So. The hunger for it's been amazing. The, the, the response and experience these kids are getting into our industry, um, I just we can't replicate it. And if we can get them a little bit hooked on it, then um, yeah, it's kind of one of those passion things. And behind the scenes, you know, those those things you see on a race day, um, they get to see, they get the you know the passion from people, the riders that have got involved, and you know that have that have kind of followed my vision and, and got us out there doing that. So the NGTR have been amazing. We've got them on board now with with kind of rolling it out. And then we head towards the final in the middle day of the Hastings Carnival with um, two heats now, or two finals for them now, and, and um, $3,000 worth of prizes to win the final. So it's not just, uh, it's pretty serious stuff as well, Steph. This is so cool. I'm just beaming here because I'm just putting myself as that teenager who gets to go to, we're not talking Hicktown uh, race courses and race meetings. They're at these bona fide uh, Courses that are held Group 1 events and they're getting the jockey silks, they're rubbing shoulders with the jockeys, clerk of the course is taking time to talk to them, trainers are giving them riding instructions. I just I just think this is just so cool and can be replicated through all sorts of sports. So just what's left uh, this season where people can go along? I think you just mentioned New Plymouth is the next one up because I want people to go along and cheers these kids home. Absolutely, and to be funny, it was actually uh, Tim Mills said to me, geez, I think the, the noise was bigger for the pony scurry than it was for the group race, the list of race on the card for the day. And, and, and that's the thing, we've got, it's not just the kids actually doing the pony scurries that's been called, it's been all the parents and, and siblings and, and supporters they've brought along the races, and that was really evident at Rickon the other day. We had a crowd there that hadn't actually been on a race course before, so looking outside attracting people in our industry, it's got this much bigger, wider um, fishing net. So, yeah, we've got a new Plymouth on Saturday. Um, we race after races three and five on uh, three and five on Saturday, and then we head to the Dunstan um, Champions Day at Tarapa the following weekend. Um, and we've got two heats up there as well. So, and then we'll have a bit of a break for the winter. Um, it's not this weekend. We're going to actually shorten the race this weekend because of the 
It's 400 metres generally. Um, we are going to shorten this weekend because of very heavy track conditions at New Plymouth. Mm. Um, but look forward to Hawke's Bay. Um, we'll roll out a whole other series in the spring that will go to as qualifiers for Hawke's Bay again. Um, but the sponsorship that's come on board is really main. The Jockeys Association have gone on board and sponsored, as has the Trainers Association. Um, and so these guys have all recognised that you know we can attract people in our industry in a kind of different angle. Um, it's certainly worth It's some great things to buck. Well, Kirsty, uh, great work inspiring the youngsters and their families and bringing new eyes and ears and uh, feet and hands to the industry. It's, a, it's really needed. Um, so thank you for doing that. And also thank you for all the work you do in the f- flood relief down your way as well. Uh, we need more people like you around New Zealand in all facets of life. So very cool to talk to you. Well done. And we'll let you crack on. Look forward to uh, seeing people on course. Anyone wants any more information, jump on the Love Racing website, have a look at the pony scopes that have been done. Um, but we look forward to rolling it out. And thanks for your time, too, Steph. Awesome. Kirsty Lawrence there. The scurry, it's on. We'll be back after the break. We'll have Pete McGlashan. We're talking about the tenure of David White. Helping you tune out your annoying workmate. You're listening to Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Righto, welcome back in. Good to talk to Kirsty. Sorry, Simon, I couldn't ask him, ask her your question about when we're all slim tradies back in work. Um, I might text her and ask her, actually, and I'll let you know, Simon. But joining us now on the back of the news that David White has announced his resignation came as a big surprise, but is it a big surprise? He's been in the job a long, long time and no one lasts forever. And we're going to talk to a man now, uh, former Black Cap himself, Peter McGlash, and joins us. G'day, Pete. Yes, hello, Steffi. Um, first of all, congratulations on being part of the first Tarao uh, commentary of a New Zealand cricket match. That must have been amazing. Yeah, yeah it was. It was pretty daunting. Uh, Scotty Morrison's a pretty uh, intimidating guy to sit next to, but <laughs> it was just a really special thing to be a part of, and uh, hopefully it's uh, the first of many. Yeah, true. Right, David White. Um, what do you think will his, his lasting legacy will be? When we look back at his tenure, maybe in five or six years' time, what will we look back and see uh, the improvements um, that he made to the game in New Zealand? Yeah, I think, as you mentioned, you know, 12 years is a long time to be in any job. Uh, and uh, when I go back and look at some of the press releases from when he started the job, it was a very different world. Um, but there's some really significant things that, that David has achieved in that time. I think, you know, being a former uh, New Zealand player himself, he always was going to understand the, the cricket side of the game. And the challenge was going to be, I guess, the business and the relationships and the broadcast negotiations and the things that um, that came with a, a job as powerful as he has. And, you know, when I look back at it, um, you know, he's been in the, at the helm when um, New Zealand women cricketers have got their first ever contracts. And here we are, um, you know, 12 years um, and with him in the role and, and there's pay parity at a domestic level, which was unthinkable uh, when he started the job. So um, while I've, you know, I've had my frustrations with David over the years and we've clashed a few times in, in my role as a director for New, uh, Northern Districts Cricket, um, I think if we all step back from, from his time uh, and look at it as a whole, there's been some tremendous successes and, you know, his appointments of Mike Hesson and Gary Stead are a tremendous example of that. So wins both on and off the field. Yeah, I think one of the first things I thought, because you can think of positives and negatives and things that they've cocked up and things that they've improved. I thought the standard of our facilities under his tenure as well, the development of Bay Oval into a truly world-class venue. Um, I don't know how much, well, he wasn't hands-on, but it was under his tenure. So everything goes across his desk, I imagine. Uh, Venues, for me, was one of the things. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the Warner Fitness System that the Players Association pushed um, really was the first step there, saying to people, hey, look, you know, we need a minimum standard if players are going to be playing at their best. And, you know, David's former role with the Players Association before he became the CEO of New Zealand Cricket probably helped with him understanding and being an ex-player understanding the value of good quality facilities. He was at the helm of New Zealand Cricket when they made the tough decision to move their administration office from Christchurch to Auckland. And that primarily was about being close to the commercial decision-making that had to happen, uh, whereas Christchurch had always been the, the traditional home of New Zealand cricket. So there's been some big, bold moves, uh, big, bold leadership uh, while he's been CEO. And, and as you mentioned, you know, the quality of grounds has been outstanding in New Zealand and, and, you know, some of the best in the world now. So the game is really well set up. It's an interesting time ahead with the, the renegotiation of the broadcast deals. And I guess that's probably the next um, big talking point over the next few years, what going back to free to wear um, TV will mean for the game. Mm. Um, Gary has texted us and saying, could you please mention this to Pete? Uh, and I'll just read it verbatim. Uh, ESPN Crick Info article yesterday saying, Bolt's hopeful of ODI World Cup in October, November, and today White resigns for August. <laughs> Is that a coincidence? Unlikely. No roadblock, no more. <laughs> No, I suspect that's um, just different stars aligning. Look, I, I think Balti's um, stepping back from New Zealand contracts was probably just the most high profile of the, uh, the people who have made similar decisions. You know, there's been talk back when Brennan McCullum was playing about you know how long it would be before a New Zealand player chose um, short-term contracts over country, uh, and you know the dis. The difference between those funding uh, amounts now is staggering. Uh, Trent was probably hopeful that when he stepped back from New Zealand Cricket's contract that it would extend his playing career. And, you know, um, the current coaching staff have played a pretty tough um, choice in not including him. But I think with the World Cup overseas, uh, you know, you always go for experience. I think Trim was trying to say in in the articles that we've seen, experience is pretty hard to trump. So I don't think the two are related, but it is a fresh chance to um, start again and, and have a new direction depending on who becomes the CEO. And he, he's been surrounded by very familiar faces for quite a long time. Uh, the two I've sort of plucked out of mid-air is Bob Carter and Brian Stronach, who's the high performance director or something like that. Um, a new CEO. Can you see a clean sweep? Can you see a natural uh, progression of who might take that seat? How do you think that might all play out? Yeah, probably not so much in those two roles. I mean, Bob Carter's had almost every job in the organisation uh, <laughs> over the years. He's, he's always been a guy who's filled in gaps, uh, depending on whether the men's game or the women's game has, has needed a, um, a caretaker role. Um, Brian Stronach's been in that, again, um, coming from a strength and conditioning background, really understands um, physiology and, and getting the best out of athletes. So those two roles, the, the way that those people play those roles probably wouldn't change too much. I think, you know, there are, there are the coaching... Um, uh, circuit uh, has people come and go. Uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see who puts their hand up. I was really impressed by Anthony Crummy uh, when he was in a role for New Zealand cricket, and, and he's uh, I think he's at New Zealand hockey at the moment. So it'd be interesting to see what people uh, come out of the woodwork uh, with the CEO role having been off the table for such a long time. There'll be a lot of people in cricket who might have liked to go at the, the top job, but with David holding on to that seat for 12 years, maybe some uh, good talent was lost to other roles. So it'll be interesting to see where New Zealand cricket ends up. Um, you know, it's a fresh opportunity to start again and, and revisit some things, but there's some really exciting things happening in the sport. So hopefully that momentum is maintained. I know you've got to get it to a meeting. Uh, Pete, last question. 
Um, you talked about contract negotiations, um, broadcasting, um, and, and the, the much more business focus there is in governing a sport rather than cricket business, if you know what I mean. Do they look for a business person with an interest in cricket or do they get a cricket person with an interest in business? Well, I think you need to understand the game, but you don't have to have played at the top level. I mean, Mike Hesson is a great example of that, who was a player, a, a person who never played international cricket but understood what it meant to be an international coach. And you can be a very good CEO uh, and not even have played the sport. Uh, we've seen people uh, be CEOs of sports that they may not have been involved with but they've understood high-performance sport. So who knows where the next person will come from. Um, they need to be obviously understand the, the world of media negotiations because the sport genuinely relies on broadcast negotiations to, to pay for everyone, to pay for the domestic men, uh, the women, uh, juniors, all that stuff comes from these big contracts that get negotiated every five to ten years. So we need someone who can stand up on the international stage and, and stand up to the... BCCI and the mm. English cricket boards and, and make sure that New Zealand cricket punches above its weight because we will never win the argument on population and numbers of eyeballs watching. We have to uh, win the argument on the quality of our performance and the fact that we're an interesting prospect for touring teams to have come visit. So uh, it'll take a wily negotiator and I think that was one of David White's potential strengths um, and so they'll be looking for someone who can capitalise on the momentum that David's put in place and, and take the game to a new level. Peter McGrashen, brilliant. You're 30 seconds away from your next meeting, so we'll let you go. Uh, you're a champ for coming the on. Joys of, uh, joys of online meeting. It means you don't have to travel very far. You just change windows on your laptop. <laughs> Top man. Thanks, buddy. Yes, Bye. There he is, Peter McGrashen. Uh, good thoughts there. Um, when I heard David White was standing down, um, who's next? Who's going to be the next uh, big cheese? Um Brendan's just texting saying, lead him on for the top cricket job. Ask Peter. Sorry, he's just gone, and that's just come in. Very sorry. Staffy TVNZ and Spark did not help cricket fans a lot. A lot of us pay for Sky. Now Spark has to pay TVNZ to show the games on free-to-air. Mark, yeah, I think if they could... I think I said at the time, like, I don't think Spark did a bad job they would have pitched a business proposition to New Zealand Cricket saying, we're an online platform, use its pay-per-view, so is Sky, it's cheaper than Sky, um, we'll access your database, you can access our database, these are our projected figures. And the figures didn't come. It, it just didn't come. And it's no one's fault. In business, there's, you know, there's fast failure, and, and, and it failed for whatever reason. And I don't blame Spark. I don't really blame New Zealand cricket. They, it, it was a big bid. It was a lot of money. It takes a lot of money to run sport. And it hasn't worked. It's going back to free-to-air. Once the free-to-air contract expires, what happens? Does it go back to Sky? Does it stay free-to-air? I don't know. It was just an unfortunate set of circumstances that alienated, alienated me from cricket because all the stuff that played in viewable times was broadcast by um, Spark, who did a good job, but I didn't have it. So I think... In quite quick time, the supporting base will return. I really do. Um, so just trying to scratch my head, Lee Jamon's one idea. Um, I straight away, I don't know why, I thought Heath Mills. He's been with the Players Association for a long time, and he was a game changer in the women's game. He was he was from the Players Association side alongside David White, who 
um, got pay parity, got more exposure, got more opportunity for our women's cricketers. He, he's a game changer. He could do it for the men as well. Highly respected in the world of cricket as well. Been doing, been working in cricket for a long time. Smart man. I know I'm a bit great bloke. Someone like that, I don't know. Business or cricket or a blend of both, I'd prefer a blend of both. A blend of both. Anyway, thank you to Pete McGlashan for having a chat uh, to us uh, just before he has to hit another Zoom meeting. Right, we'll take a break. Um, oh, little uh, gasp of air there. Uh, running it straight, three to four. Chance Nicol Klukstar. Klukstar is joining the Running It Straight. Kempi's in the house. Sammy and Kempi will come into this studio and between three and four, Running It Straight, previews, reviews, and uh, the great man Chance Nicol Klukstar will be joining him. So make sure you listen to The League Show. We'll take a break. New sport and weather. And we're only about 15 minutes away from the chase. Don't ring yet, but we've got a celebrity chaser today. Thank you for the tune, Sammy. Thank you for the tune. Uh, someone texted in and said, Mike Coggan. He is the CEO of Otago Cricket. Easily the best candidate. Very savvy, professional and experienced. Yeah, I don't know who the CEOs of the various um, teams around New Zealand are. Um, they don't get a lot of profile. But people entrenched in cricket, you will know better than most, I would imagine. Uh, so Mike Coggan's a, a name that's been chucked out. Um, oh, actually, I forgot to text uh, for Simon. I'm going to do that right now. Real Slim Trady. Okay, I'll text that through very shortly. Um, she's not online at the moment, but um, I'll see if I can find that out for you. Um, I'm just going back a while. When we, we talked to, if you missed it, we talked to um, Liam Houser. He has written a book called uh, State of Origin Immortals. It's in bookstores now. It was released last week, and I know how much New Zealanders love State of Origin. And he's picked the, the starting side and a bench for both Immortals Queensland, Immortals New South Wales, just from that era. From Artie Beetson's idea, he's actually on the bench, um, and there's just amazing names scattered all the way through. And in it, I said my favourite Origin player in the interview, uh, I said uh, Dale Shearer was my favourite Origin player of all time. Uh, Costa said... Hey gentlemen, Staffy, you are the first person I have ever heard say Dale Shearer was their favourite player. Him and Michael Hancock were very hard to like. Cheers, Costa. 100% get what you're saying, because Michael Hancock, he annoyed the bejesus out of me, both in State of Origin and for the Broncos. He was a nutter. He was crazy. But take all of that away. Jeez, he was hard to tackle. Um, I get it for him, but Dale Shearer for me, he had that gliding run. I, I just, I don't know why, I just loved watching him play. That's when I sort of first started watching uh, Origin. We did our Immortals, uh, New Zealand Kiwis Immortals. Um, someone texted Hugh McGann? Surely. Golden boot winner. Slot him in the second row. Wiki to the eight jersey. Mannering to the 13 jersey. Tamari is only in the conversation because of a scrap. 
He was a fantastic player. I do know what you're saying, though, about the scrap. Much the same as I said when I think Ruben Wiki, I think of that charging off into Ciasoliola. Um, I'll always remember Ruben for that, but he did so many, so many good things. It's funny how some people get labelled with that one thing. Um, I'm with you, Steph. Shearer has to be in the Queensland team. Probably Tallis and Gilmeister also. I think Gilly was on the bench from memory. Uh, Gilmeister was also in New South Wales. Ian Roberts and Steve Folks. That's Wayne from Carmo. Gilly and um, who was the other one I used to love? Gillespie. Cement Gillespie was his nickname. He could, and I always thought Gillespie and Gilmeister were the two, what could we say, little big, little big men. They weren't like... Roach and Surinan and Lazarus and those sorts of guys. Gilmeister and Gillespie, oh, they could fold blokes. They could truly fold blokes. All right, it's chase time. We have a different chaser today. It is not me, so the 100,000 cash is not up for grabs today. But we have a new chaser. Never done it before. I can see him out in the office. He has agreed to do it. He will march in here to his walk-in music. If you want to play The Chase, he's very, very good. 0800, I think he's going to be good. 0800 150 811, play The Chase. I'm pretty excited today, uh, Sammy H., as you should be. I'm Mark. sharing the studio with a mystery chaser, which we don't reveal until the time. Now, uh, given that the rules generally of the chase is that if it's you in the chair, we have the 100,000 e-cash mm. up for grabs, are we putting up the amount? It's your e-cash, so it's up to EU. I think we save it for you. I think we do save it for you. Although, if this chaser proves his or her worth, maybe we maybe we throw in an extra 50,000 e-cash at some stage yeah we'll work it out anyway we spin the wheel <laughs> and on line number six Dale from Auckland g'day Dale hey mate there you go oh. very very good Dale how's your sporting knowledge uh, not too bad I don't think we'll uh, soon find out I suppose that's fantastic I hope it's a lot better than your phone line uh, if you can get for, out from <laughs> underwater mate that would be fantastic so Dale what we need oh, from sorry, you sorry how's that there yeah, you go crystal mate? clear you are crystal clear yeah, there we go. bloody speaker phone mate bloody now, speaker and phone. I can hear the confidence in your voice as well now I need you to select set A or set B on our questions this afternoon Dale uh, B please set B nice and quick that's what I like Dale there are 60 seconds on our timer. 60 seconds to answer as many questions as you can. If you pass, I'll move on straight away. If you get one wrong, we'll give you the right answer. You ready to go, Dale? Ready to go, mate. All right, here you go. Your time will start in three, two, one. Which Parramatta Eel is currently top try scorer in the NRL? Oh, pass. Who is the only player in Super Rugby to score 10 tries this season? Pass. Luis Suarez played for which English Premier League team? Uh, Liverpool. Correct. And what month does this year's Cricket World Cup begin? Uh, October. Correct. Which team won this week's Sale GP Grand Final? Whoa, Australia. Correct. Jalen Hurts is an NFL quarterback for which team? Uh, pass. In what weight class does Israel Adesanya primarily compete? Middleweight. Middle Correct. Weight. Which provincial rugby team did uh, NRL hotshot Valance Tefati play for? Uh, Waikato. Correct. How many wins have the Hurricanes had in their opening 10 games? Five. 
Seven. Who did Real Madrid play in the Champions League this morning? Pass. What does RPO stand for in cricket? Run for over. That is correct. That is correct. It's pretty good effort. Pretty good effort from Dale. Got six. You know staff. what? I like the speed of pass. I don't know pass. Yeah. Give me another no, one. Yeah, that's, that's the key is passing quickly. And um, in the chair, attempting to chase you down today, Dale. Oh, ramp that up. <laughs> we call him the Hitman. Yeah! We call him the Hitman. <laughs> it's Brad Lewis, the uh, producer uh, of The Run Home. Brad Lewis, the Brad Hitman. New Brad. I'm feeling a bit of pressure because I got six of those. And really? he got six of those. Yeah. Well, you know how it works, Dale. 60 seconds on the timer for the Hitman. If he gets one wrong. If you pass, we if stop pass, the clock. He gets oh, to push right you back. Up, right so you, you back, are, yeah. The pressure is all, all right. on you. Shivers. And this is, um, <laughs> yeah, all the pressure is on uh, is on the hitman, as you well know, Dale. So stay on the line there. We're going to put 60 seconds on the timer for Brad. Brad. These are all MMA all questions, right? Incorrect. Okay. Incorrect. Your time will start, Brad, in three, two, one. Where was Wayne Bennett coaching before the Dolphins? St. George. Stop the clock. Quick, I like the quickness though. Dale, where was Wayne Bennett coaching before the Dolphins? Uh, bunnies. South, uh, South Sydney, correct. Uh, so minus one at the moment, Brad. Seven to catch. Your time will start <laughs> again start. in three, two, one. Which New Zealand team was involved in the highest scoring game in Super Rugby history? Hurricanes. Stop the clock. Dale? Mm, oh, we'll have to go to the Sayers. No, it was the Chiefs. You remember that game, Steph? Yeah, it was about 100 to 98. No, no, it was like 72 to 65. Yeah, that's what I'm like, saying. Yeah, it was yeah. massive. Yeah, Lions Beaver against Lions. All right, so uh, still seven to catch, Brad. Your time will start again in three, <laughs> two, one. Who won the 2010 FIFA World Cup in extra time? Uh, that would be Germany. Stop the clock. Dale? Oh, uh, Spain? <laughs> 14 Mice was... Two. Yeah. i tell you what, um, it's a brave man to come in on his first try and, and win the chase staff. I don't think we've ever had it. So uh, eight to catch, Brad. Your time will start again in three, two, one. How many ODI Cricket World Cup finals has New Zealand been in? Two. Correct. Beth Page Black is the name of the venue associated with what sport? Uh, golf. Correct. Edgbaston Cricket Ground is located in which English city? Birmingham. Correct. LeBron James won his most recent NBA title with which team? Lakers. Correct. Before the Panthers, which team was the last to win back-to-back NRL premierships? Melbourne Storm. Stop the clock. Before the Panthers, which team was last to win back-to-back premierships, Dale? Uh, Broncos? No, the Roosters. Oh. That was only just before the Panthers I as well. So you're no on one four. likes them anyway. So. You, you, you've got four right, which is, puts you on two, so you've got four to catch. Brad, your time will start again in three, two, one. Damian McKenzie leads Super Rugby in points scored this season. Who sits second? Richie Moonga. Correct. Which races are included in Motorsports Triple Crown? Uh, Indianapolis, Daytona, Le Mans. Stop the clock. Did you say Indianapolis, Daytona, Le Mans? Le Mans, yeah. That is incorrect. Dale? Ah, mate, I wouldn't have a clue, so I'll have to go Daytona, Le Mans, and... Oh, gosh, nah, no idea. No idea, mate. Indy 500, Le Mans, Monaco Grand Prix. The Monaco Grand Prix. This is probably the unofficial triple crown, but it's what the (laughs) Google gave me. So, Brad, you still have... Is it two to catch, Kez? Or still four to catch? Okay, your time will... Is it three? No, three. three to catch. It is three to catch. Your time will start again in three, two, one. Which Crusader has the most Super Rugby appearances in history with 202? Ruben Thorne. Stop the clock. Which Crusader has the most Super Rugby appearances with 202, Dale? Uh, White Crockett. 
Nice work, Dale. Well done. Four to catch. Brad, the time is against you, though, unfortunately. Your time will start again in three, two, one. Carlo Ancelotti manages which football powerhouse? Uh, Now, Milan. Stop the clock. I know it is. Carlo Ancelotti. Dale? Uh, no, yeah, no, do I ever guess uh, Barcelona? No, Real Madrid. Yeah. You went to the wrong one. Okay, Brad, your time yeah. will start again in three, two, one. Which team is currently top of the ANZ Netball Premiership standings? That is correct. New Zealand. Oh, and just like that. Dale. I got through a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the pushbacks, uh, Hitman, because you probably got about 10 right, but given yeah. the pushbacks. <laughs> given the pushbacks. Hey, what a chase, Steph. Four, what a chase. I think that's the most questions because Dale was a fast pass. Mm hmm. And uh, Brad was quick. the hitman was a fast fail. He and was I, quick. And after I answered all the questions, I got wrong. I was like, "Damn it, that's wrong." Exactly. No, that, <laughs> hey, and that is the pressure of the timer, isn't it? Once you got that timer oh, in front of you, clock ticking. Oh, in your look, headphones. everyone's an expert when they're sitting in their car listening on the radio. But C- congrats, Dale. Yeah, well done, Dale. You're a champ. Thank you, Brad. So, Dale. Cheers, so, Dale, you, you, you call back when Steph's in the chair, mate. And you put yourself up for the hundred thousand e cash. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds bloody good, mate. I, I tell you what, I need it. Yeah, good on you, mate. I'll only buy you a can of Coke, but that's sweet. Yeah. <laughs> nice work. Uh, we will take our last break. We'll come back and have a look back in the day.